Well, well. <laughs> <laughs> we're here to start talking about what does it mean to be human? How are we human? I don't know. We're still figuring it out. We're figuring a lot of things out. I'm Craig. <laughs> and I'm Carla. And we're trying to understand being human from the perspective, perspective of God's story in the Bible. It's more than just being a species like Homo sapiens. We think it's about community, about relationships, and about welcoming. We're figuring it out still. So join us as we do. Because we're not holier than you. Oh, I didn't want that to rhyme. Good. I was going to say good evening, but you might be listening to this in the morning or the afternoon. So good day. I'm Craig. I'm Carla. And we're going to continue with our conversation that we started last week talking about uh, the creation of human beings in the image of God. Right. And we talked a lot about all of that through Genesis 1 and 2, where we learned that we kind of have two creation stories, right? Right. Two creation stories, and they have a different, each one has a little different emphasis. Okay. They don't really contradict each other, and they're not really meant to um, be the same story told twice. They're just different ways of looking or telling the story of how it started. In a way, maybe even uh, complementing one another? Well, they might complement each other, but they're also speaking from, they're, they're two stories from the Hebrew people who came out of different historical periods or different groups of people within that 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 group i mean you think of any large people group say the united states you might have a different origin story for somebody in the south and they might talk about roanoke virginia and beginning the country there and you might have somebody in new england who says no it began in massachusetts and you might have two different origin stories but it's kind of the same story right right okay so um what were we thinking about doing today? Continuing on with that creation or well, thinking of some other things? So one of the things that's fascinating to look at, and it's not just limited to the ancient uh, Middle East, but since that's where our story begins, that's where we'll focus. But there are origin stories other than just the Hebrew story. Okay. I think I've heard of that before. I've even heard of like other stories about a great flood. So Right, right. So there are similar stories and they have similar um, pieces that sound familiar, they parallel. Uh, and you can even find some interesting stories from you know indigenous peoples around the world. Mm -hmm. uh, there's there's uh, Australian stories of the indigenous people there who talk about uh, the importance of company, they, they come up from the, the dirt, the earth itself, uh, and they tell this story. There's another story of the, the, um, the Klamath nation in southern Oregon, and they speak of their story of having to do with um, Crater Lake and the waters. And, you know, but each one has their kind of indigenous story that speaks to their own experience and their own reality. Mm -hmm. Right. And one of the things that happens in the creation story, in, in the Hebrew story, is it all begins with the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the deep. And you get the importance of the sense of water, you know, that there's this water there. You know, this is a desert people, and anything that takes place around the waters has probably added significance. Things that, you know, those of us, at least especially in the Pacific Northwest, where we've got lots of water, lakes and rivers, and but for a desert people, water has a Deep significance. Uh, yeah, I was going to say special significance about our talk deep. Yeah, deep, yeah. yeah. So, um, 
what are some what do you want to think about with origin stories do you want to think about well, a different origin story and yeah, compare it or? i think part of it is is i do think there's an importance in understanding the origin story so if i wanted to ask anyone why are you here you know what you know if i'm if somebody was being interviewed for a job i'd want to know what what brought you to this place and what we're doing with those kind of interview questions we're trying to find out how does how does where you are now how does it fit into like a logical stream of connection with where you've come from or where you're going or where you're going what your plans or goals are and so part of that origin story is is finding out what the flow is and understanding where somebody comes from and where it is that they want to go uh, the origin story has that ability to to help us understand that past but it also for us if we look at our own origin story and say where did i come from where am i going our story makes a difference in how we choose things and what what seems good what seems bad what is right what is wrong um you know in 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 you know therapy or any kind of counseling we we want people to own their stories to be able to 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 understand why they make the choices they make you know they're not just flowing on and everything's happenstance there is a sense of right and wrong a sense of value for good and bad and a lot of that goes back to these origin stories and so finding that origin story isn't just like probing into the past and trying to find out where did i come from but it's also where do i get a sense of grounding where do i get a sense of purpose how do i know what's good and bad what's right and wrong and so our origin stories kind of give us that that little bit of direction Okay. So is there a specific origin story that you want to think about in uh, connection to what we've already talked about in Genesis 1 and 2? Right. So that's our that's what we call our origin stories as followers of Jesus, as people who are see ourselves connected with the Hebrew story. We go back to Genesis and say, yes, this is our God speaking, you know, the world into existence. And that's the beginning of our story. But one of the things that's fascinating is you go on through the to the first uh, few uh, chapters of Genesis, and we see this world kind of expanding and getting larger and and covering much more ground. We get this really interesting spot, and it's in Genesis 10. It's also called the um, oh, what is it called? The list of nations, I think, is what it's called. <clears throat> and this this list of nations is all the children of Noah, and there's 70 different children listed and in the ancient world that was understood as 70 different nations being spread out through the middle east and not just the middle east they went as far as i think what we would consider to be germany turkey uh northern africa spain you know it was just covering that that ancient world and for them it was as far as they could imagine the whole world being and that's a huge area anyway right. um but for them different was... languages different different uh, cultural traditions it's it's a really rich you know part of the world with so many different expressions right and so often we just feel like well everything must have been centered in israel right and maybe then down to egypt and and that area that middle eastern area but you're really spreading out and that's really beginning that's early on in the genesis story yeah and and so even early on in the genesis story it's so far beyond palestine right that is amazing uh, a lot of people probably don't know that and so when we when when the early storytellers you know who are putting these stories together and you know these oral stories handing them down generation to generation mm -hmm. they they think it's important for those who come later 
to know this world is very big. And it's people who don't even share the same language. And they don't, maybe they don't even look like us. Okay. And, and to be honest, when I have read this section of Genesis, I've never thought of it as being something much, much larger. More expansive than that. Yeah, more expansive than, yeah. than Israel, Palestine. Yeah. And, there, and people that don't look alike. What's, what's interesting is you actually, if you, you can do some Google searches and look for maps of the list of nations from Genesis 10, and you can actually see a lot of people who've done some more scholarly research and trying to figure out where these people groups landed. And you do find that this is an expansive awareness of a wider world. Part of that story then is, is saying that, that Noah's children, grandchildren and descendants, it's not so much they, that they came from just Noah, but they're actually, even these 70 different people groups, 70 different nations, they are the same family. This is one humanity. And if we want to find the image of God, the image of God is in that breadth, that wide family. Okay. It's, it's not, not just limited to... It's not just limited to... Noah and his children. Exactly. Well, and these are his children. Well, his, his immediate children. Right. Right. His immediate children and and their children. Right. Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and it's this image of God is in these people. Larger group than Noah and which, his three sons. Which then kind of forces us to do with the thing is anyway. Sorry. I got, I got I got I got Noah and his three sons, my three sons. I was oh. thinking of my three sons. Yeah, sorry, everybody, I got distracted. Fred McMurray. There we yeah. go. Uh, but but the um, one of these children, one or one of these grandchildren that is mentioned in in Genesis ten is a fellow named Nimrod. Right. And Nimrod, well, when I asked you earlier, what, what's the word Nimrod think? What do you think of? Well, I think of name calling. You okay, know, name call calling. So if I called you a Nimrod, you would be grateful? Probably not, no. I don't know. I don't know if that's quite... So, yeah. <laughs> so a couple of, couple of other uh, Bible scholars, more knowledgeable than, than I, than we, perhaps, uh, we're talking about this name, Nimrod, and they thought in contemporary usage and thought of derogatory, it goes back to Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd. And to be honest, I don't remember something with Nimrod with those two. Yeah, Bugs Bunny calls Elmer Fudd a Nimrod. Okay, and that's why I thought it, that must be why I thought it was bad. Yeah, well, that's, must have heard that. that's the derogatory element there. Now, the word Nimrod, it has a, a couple of meanings in Hebrew. One of them is the hunter. So whoever wrote the lines for Bugs Bunny was probably aware of Hebrew tradition and understood that he's just calling Elmer Fudd a hunter. The other meaning that's well, more... It says it right here. In, in yeah, well, it's called him the hunter there. It says he was a mighty hunter, hunter. before the Lord. <laughs> and the word Nimrod, though, actually means rebel. Huh. So it puts Nimrod out of all these 70 as a slightly different character and as you're reading in the bible there where do, what does it say where does it say he rest he landed or what did he do um it says that uh he was a mighty hunter before the lord therefore it is said like nimrod a mighty hunter before the lord the beginning of his kingdom 
was Babel. There we go. And so that's the key thing. So Nimrod is the one who created the city of Babel. So he's the one who establishes this nation state that becomes probably one of the most significant nation states outside of Judah and Israel in the whole Bible story. And when we read these long lists of all these names and genealogies, it's easy to get blurry eyed and just kind of skim over it and miss it. But Nimrod is connected to Babel and Babel is, well, the city of Babel, the tower of Babel, but it's also Babylon. Okay. And this is Babylon becomes the mighty empire. Nebuchadnezzar becomes the, the empire that comes and sweeps over in 586 and wipes out uh, Palestine and sends the Hebrews into exile. I mean, it's, it's a mighty player, but right here, it's just, it's just easy to skim over in this. Which got me thinking, it'd be interesting to know a little bit more about Babel. Why is Babel and Babylon such an important character? I mean, the nation itself is almost like a character in the Old Testament story. Explain that a little bit. So, so Babel. I mean, how does a nation be a character? Well, yeah, it's it's this perennial uh, opposition. You know, it's kind of like um, back in the Cold War days. You know, Russia, the bear, was always there to take over the world, and it was. You know, these nations and states always at war with one another. And we kind of forget about the individuals who are part of those. It's these large uh, entities who, who kind of control the, the story. And, and Babel kind of carried that power, uh, emerged, it grew to become a place that carried that, that kind of power. In but, that day and age. In that day and age. Okay. Well, for quite a significant period of time. Because when we get a little further on, we get to the story of the Tower of Babel, which right. so many people are familiar with. Yeah. And what happened with Nimrod and his, 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 his descendants is they create this tower. Now, there's big deal. You create a skyscraper. Why is that a, why is that a big deal? Uh, it, it was understood that at the top of mountains, that's where the gods live. Right. And if I don't have a mountain because I live in the desert plain, I'm going to make a mountain. Making a mountain out of a molehill? <laughs> kind of. But the point of making the mountain was, I mean, we're, most people are familiar with the story of Olympus, the Greek story of where, you know, Mount Olympus, that's where all the Greek gods live. Right. Well, what we miss is where, where does God show up first in the Bible? Where does God walk? The garden. In the garden. And we forget, where was the garden? Eden? <laughs> and where was Eden? That I'm not so sure about. Well, let's put it this way. Where did the streams and the rivers of Eden flow? You're asking me stuff that I don't remember. <laughs> I'm sorry. So, in Eden, we find out that the rivers flow... And they create the mighty rivers that flow in four directions. And two of them that are the most famous are the Tigris and the Euphrates. Right. Okay. But the point is, they flow out of Eden. Okay. So, I was not knowing where it's okay. we were going with that. <laughs> so the point is that Eden is on a, it is an elevated place. As water flows downward. Down away from it. Yes. Right. And we miss this often, is that in the Bible, God's always on a mountain. Eden was on a mountain. 
things on the mountain, that's where God is. Moses went on to the mountain. Moses went up to Sinai. Uh, Elijah uh, heard the voice on the mountain. The mountains are these holy places. Here at Babel, they're a flat desert plain. They don't have the mountain. They'll make their mountain. And at the top of their mountain, they're going to place their gods. It is this place to manufacture the divine. It's almost like technological society saying, we're going to create things so wonderful and so majestic, we are going to manufacture our own gods. Well, in some ways, that's kind of happened. I mean, we have become very self-sufficient that we don't see the wonder. We don't see supernatural wonder sometimes in our lives. Well, and if we do see something supernatural, we simply think um, there's a technological answer to it. There's a scientific reason, and then we can duplicate that. And so Babel becomes this place that is actually trying to create this alternative narrative, the second story. We have God in creation, who's established humanity, and God, and humanity shares this uh, royal um, occupation of being co-stewards with God in the garden. Yeah. Then we get this story of Babel saying, no, we're, we're going to create our own awareness of the divine. We're going to create our own wonder. And humans are going to have a different role. So this is where I want to get to what is the Babylonian story of creation? Okay. And so even though we had Nimrod, you know, coming from the, the, the lineage of Noah, the Babylonians had their own creation story that's radically different than the story in Genesis. Okay, and I'm not real familiar with that story. So. so a lot of people are familiar with the Epic of Gilgamesh, or at least they've heard the name Gilgamesh. And Gilgamesh was a mighty warrior, and that comes further on in their story, the Babylonian story. But the very beginning of the Babylonian story begins with this um, chaos. Everything is in chaos and in the waters. So there's a little similarity there with the very beginning of the Genesis story. Yeah. But what happens in the chaos in the uh, Babylonian story, it's called the Enuma Elish. And in the Enuma Elish, there is the saltwater god and the freshwater god. And where they come together and stir together, it becomes chaotic, but it gives birth to other gods. So what's interesting here is you have chaos and what emerges from the chaos are other divine beings, no human beings. Interesting. And so these divine, yeah, yeah, so these divine beings um, become uh, powerful. They uh, create their own uh, children. We'll call them children, but they're dragons. They have blood that's poison. Uh, they are serpents and scorpions and they they are in constant battle with one another for dominion of this place of chaos, wherever this is. Where the fresh and the salt waters come together. Right. So there's no land. Yeah, I guess there is. There's got to be some somewhere. Um, that's a great question. Because land does emerge, and one of the gods, uh, Marduk, comes and defeats the other god, and I forgot her name just now. But 
the point was is that Marduk is this uh, being with four eyes, horns on his head, and it's actually his, I believe it's his mother that he's coming to defeat. There's a little bit of Greek Oedipal stuff going on in there, maybe, I don't know. But she's a serpent, and he throws a, a hurricane at her, and as the hurricane fills her lungs, she kind of loses her breath, and he's able to uh, take his club and hit her and drive his dagger you know, through her, and she dies. Oh my goodness, this is really nasty. It's very different than the Genesis story. <laughs> so far, yes. Yeah. And so what happens next is, I think she, if I, and again, I'm probably butchering the story. As she is dying, um, another god character by the name, I think, Ea, comes and removes her eyes. And from these eyes come humanity or human beings and they are there the, the the only role for humanity in this is to serve and be servants to these gods and coming from the eyes they're not meant to see anything special perhaps huh? I, I don't know yeah i don't know there's probably some other things there but what what do you hear in just that rough synopsis of the creation story from babylon what's well, it about sounds like it's born of violence and power right power grabbing or uh, and you called it edible and i'm kind of like boy was he ever mad at his mom for some reason and really went after her um and you said that the the humans who were made were made to serve the gods and that's so different than what we hear in genesis where uh, uh god creates all these other parts of the world and even the animals creates man and then says hey you need a helper and and creates that helper or that um equal from one half of the first person right and god is calling them good god calls all of the creation good and it doesn't sound like that at all in what nimrod and and the babylonian origin story is there there seems to be no goodness in it who wins who wins what does uh, the babylonian story say about how you get ahead or how do you well it's it sounds like it's through um definitely not being kind <laughs> <laughs> being uh hurtful to others trying to take power yeah, um, even even resorting to violence. And so what, what I think we find in the Babylon story, and it's the Tower of Babel, the nation of Babylon even afterward, and Babylon is this continuous kind of antagonist in the, in the Hebrew story. We find um, a story that maybe reflects our own contemporary understanding of what it means to be a human being in a bent and broken fashion better than almost the hebrew genesis story or early you know genesis 1 and 2 story because if i were to ask people i would think you know what does it take to get ahead in this world they would talk about um power over talk about I mean, weak. Dog eat dog world. Uh, you know, it. Yeah, it. It seems like that Babylonian story persists. And yet, 
to be perfectly honest, I've never heard that origin story before. And I've all, you know, I think most people kind of know this idea of Adam and Eve in the garden. Um, but they also know of the serpent and they know of the, um, well, I don't know if they know of the lying so much of, but that, you know, they sinned, mm-hmm. they, they turned against God or something, but boy, this, this story of, uh, Babylon sure, certainly sounds more uh, sinful <laughs> to me. Well, it's, it's just vicious. Yeah, is what it is. Yeah. And yet, and yet, in the way in which we live in our world today, many, many of us, it would seem that the Babylonian story has had more power and impact in our world than maybe the Genesis story. So, I, what I what I wonder about is. You know, we, we continue to live in this world that's polarized and people can't speak with one another. I mean, a lot of people can, but I mean, we, we right. do have a significant problem uh, in listening to others who have disagreements with us. Mm-hmm. We're not feeling threatened. You know, we, we tend to get defensive. and or Or just even that that one one or both of the people in those kinds of conversations look at the other saying there's nothing good about you right it's almost like there's e- something wrong either either you're ignorant if that's a nice thing or you're demonic yeah yeah, yeah. as a matter of fact i i uh, i had written a note something about seeing people as demons yeah i, I heard that somewhere and, here recently and so we, we do have this us versus them mentality, which has a lot more to do, I believe, with the Babylon story. It appears so, because the it sounds like the the um, Marduk, right? right? Did I get his name right? Um, certainly had a deep hatred toward his mother. Yeah, and, and you know, maybe he had reason for it. I, I just have to go into the story a bit more deeply, but but the point was that was the only way to overcome. There was no okay. sense of compromise, working things out, reconciling. Uh, plus, when the human beings come along, all they are are underlings and servants. Right. They are not. They carry no image. Of, okay, they of have the no divine. image of the divine in within them. Or, or the image they receive is simply an image of of violence and oppression and which would make sense being made from the eyes because that's the last Perhaps. thing the mother sees is her son coming mm-hmm. at her and within that um, you know so well so much is thought about the eyes having so much of being a window to the soul and and that they hold I think in some I don't know if I'm making this up, or but, but this seems to to make sense to me that for some people, seeing the what you see is what kind of sticks with you through eternity, perhaps. almost um, yeah. at the end, perhaps. So if they're made from those eyes and they saw terror and they saw uh, violence, that would make sense. I think one of the one of the challenges of these two creation stories, the one from last week and this one, is to to I think part of it can like well, which one do I want to be my story? Mm. I mean, do we get to choose which one is going to give us meaning and value, 
or do we go, well, it's just the way it is. I'm a, hey, I'm a Babylonian creation. It's just going to be dog eat dog. Well, I think most people would think they were from the Genesis story because I think most people would say they had never even heard of that Babylonian story. And yet that seems to have had an impact well, on our world. And it becomes, I think, the prevailing story that that God is God is a powerful God. Well, God is a well. No, I think if this becomes the story that God is trying to overshadow, overcome throughout the whole biblical narrative, because when God is most in the position to flex muscle and to be powerful. You know, we read in the prophets about turning swords into plowshares. You know, we we you know we have Jesus come along who obviously can't be God because he's too nice. He's not coming in on a war horse wiping out the Romans. Oh, now wait a second. You're just being facetious, right? Correct. But I, <laughs> I think the point is we we keep we we see in the Hebrew story and in eventually into the Christian story. A story of God who, of a God who refuses to be limited or fit into the mold of the Babylonian story, but we see a story of a people who expect God to be the Babylonian God. Ah, now there you go. There, and 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 how do we see God not trying to be formed into that Babylonian type God? Is that what we're going to be looking at? Or are we going to be looking at how do the people keep going towards that overbearing, violent, in charge kind of God? And why? Why do they keep? Why do, why do keep we keep looking? Doing that? Yeah. And I think there's a couple of things here. One is, um, as human beings, we just want to win. We don't want to suffer. We don't want to lose. And so if we think God's on my side to overcome and, and beat you down, that's the God I want. And it's almost like if we think we want this God enough, is that God going to be real? Well, no, it doesn't change the nature of God. And I think part of it is to struggle with that understanding that so many of the stories we have in the Old Testament, like, well, Peter ends, the one, uh, a, a, biblical, a biblical scholar, professor in Eastern University, um, talks about how these stories are ambiguous and they are filled with wisdom, but they tell the story of a people who are faithful to God, but are struggling to find a way to say who this God really is. And so we can read the stories of judges uh, where this God seems to be somebody who is bloodthirsty and slaughters people mm -hmm. one after the other. But then we read other stories that says, this God is not that way. That's not really who that God is. And like, well, which is the true story? Which is the, which is, which one is really the God? And that's the importance of Jesus to say, this is the one in whom the fullness of God is pleased to dwell. This is what God looks like. Right. And so the Old Testament story deals with these Babylonian, these Genesis, or, you know, this, this Eden story. And they wrestle back and forth. And it's almost like not until we get to Jesus do we get this clear idea of what a human image is like and what God is really like. What's interesting is Jesus, we find out what God's really like and we find out what a human being is really like. Yes. In one person. Yes. Which 
is confusing to some people because Jesus only lived to be 33 years old, I suppose. And they might think, well, he didn't, he didn't fulfill everything. Maybe. I don't know. That's another story. Yeah. Perhaps, well, but, <laughs> but, um, what do we do about that Babylonian theme that seems to go through humanity. I think one of the things is perhaps to just identify it. Um, right. Identif identifying a problem is important. Right. And then, and then making a choice. Is that, is that the nature that I, is that my nature? Is that my story? Is that who I want to be? The, I, there's a story of a rabbi in North Carolina years ago, probably in the fifties. And the theaters were, you know, opening up in town as a brand new movie theater in town. And this uh, Christian pastor was talking to this Jewish rabbi and they were talking about their kids wanting to go out to the movies or something. It was a Friday night. Kids wanted to go out to the movie. Brand new movie house in town. And, you know, that's the thing to do. Yeah. And um, so the, the, these, this pastor and the, the rabbi were talking and, and the pastor's kid was going to go out. You know, it's like, go with his friends and go watch a movie. And, but the Jewish kid could not go because Friday was the Sabbath. Correct. Yeah. And the rabbi didn't say it's against our rules. That's not the way we do things. The rabbi said that the way they dealt with it is they said, that's not our story. That's not our story. I was, okay. And. And it's trying to create a people that flow together in a bigger narrative than their own little life, you know, their own selves. You know, can I make a claim based on faith? I mean, there's nothing scientifically or anything literally I can prove, you know, one way or the other to go, oh, I'm from Eden. No, I'm from the Babylon story. You know, it's, it's a choice we make. Which one is the narrative that gives our life meaning? And yet in that choice that we've made there's well i know i want to say differently in the story that seems to flow through and it seems to have a lot of violence along the dog eat dog it's deeply rooted in each of us and um i and i liken that to gardening when you're gardening and you're trying to get rid of the weeds in your life if you've made the choice that this isn't the, isn't the story I want um, you pull out a weed now a lot of times I don't get the whole root I might get five inches of the root but I know there's still root down there and then I know it's going to grow again yeah. and that really bugs me and and I think that's the same way with things in our lives how can we get to that root inside of us to pull it all out yeah. so so that stuff we don't want there anymore doesn't come back. So that's a lot of awareness. I mean, part of it is right there. But it's like, I love the metaphor because um, we look at a garden and it's filled with whatever, but we make a choice. It's going to be carrots, you know, mm -hmm. but all of a sudden a weed or a green bean or something pops up. It's like, you don't belong here. This is not the story. And I came to that conclusion with a lot of weeding. <laughs> but, I, I, but it makes sense because I would say, I, I look at the story of, of, of Eden 
and I understand this incredible place that God has placed these human beings in and has told them together, you human beings, you together are the image of God and, and you are co-laborers here. You, you are in this royal position. And I go, yeah, that's the story I want. And I'm going to try and shape my life with that story. But I know every single day there's a little Babylonian weed that pops up that I have got to find a way to say, you don't belong here. Right. And, and keep pulling at them even when they keep popping up, even though you haven't gotten the full root out yet. So where, where do you find a Babylonian weed popping up? What is it? What is something that you go, Oh, that's not the story I want to be living, but it keeps popping up. You know, it probably happens the most when I'm driving and uh, see someone, you know, make a, not, they don't signal or they cut in front of you or they tailgate you and, or they turn left or something in front of you. Yeah, that kind it's of thing. It's an instantaneous probably, response. It just really bubbles is. right up. Boom, right yeah, there. It does. It does. Yeah. Driving is probably the worst. I, I think I find it when I read comments of people who I who disappoint me on mm. social media <laughs> yeah yeah there's a lot and, of and what what where, where the Babylonian we pops up isn't so much in my in, in what I read and how it disappoints me but how I wish I could respond to them exactly yeah yeah and if I can like throttle that back think twice or maybe just move on it's much better and, and another place I see that weed popping up is um, in, in much the same way that you just said. It, it may be just in kind of like hearing what someone says or thinks and just wishing or thinking of them in a way that is just not seeing God's image in them and saying, oh, this is a person who God loves and, and God's image is in this person. And I'm not seeing that image there yeah. because yeah. of something they said. <laughs> that just totally doesn't flow with my understanding of how, what it means to um, uh, be a follower of Christ and to live in his way. And then I find myself not living at all the way I wish I would be. The um, one, so there's, there's a bunch of Bible stuff we haven't even touched on and we don't really go into it in depth because we really don't want to take that time right now. We could do that next time. But, a couple of scriptures that I think are important. Well, first of all, read um, Genesis 10. It might make your eyes get blurry and it looks like a little boring, but it's that list of all those names. And then take time to look up the list of nations and you'll find these, you know, some old maps, some different maps, some images on Google, and they're fascinating to look at. But I think one of the scriptures that, that I wanted to think about tonight just comes from a portion of Psalm 8. And just kind of a reminder of what God thinks of us and to kind of own that and then take that take that passage from Psalm 8 and kind of remember it or place ourselves back into this place of um, God created humanity in God's image. So that's that's where we are. It kind of almost like a touchstone, something important to go back to to remember who we are. You want that you passage want to, read? Yeah, you want to go ahead and read that? Do you want me to read the whole psalm? Sure. 
Not a very long one. No. And this is from probably my very first Bible. You found it going through some stuff. And um, this is from my very, my, my very first Bible given to me by my church back in Peoria, Illinois. When you were graduating third grade? I think so. <laughs> wow. And it's kind of neat. In the back it says, a pledge in response to the gift of a Bible from my church. And one of the things is it, is it says, I will strive to know the great and good people of whom it tells. So we're kind of doing that right now. <laughs> um, it says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is thy name in all the earth. Thou whose glory above the heavens is chanted by the mouth of babes and infants. Thou hast founded a bulwark because of thy foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast established, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou dost care for him? And I know that in newer versions, it'll have that change. Humanity, this is very old. Yeah. <laughs> and what is the mortal? What are mortals? Yeah. Yes. So that's verse four. Verse five, yet thou hast made him, thou hast made humanity little less than God and dost crown humanity with glory and honor. And that's just, I just ended at verse five. I think I'll just end right there. Yeah. Just, just re repeat that last phrase again. Yet thou yet hast made humanity little less than God and dost crown humanity with glory and honor. Yeah. Sounds really, really different than the Babylonian story. Yeah, which is filled with blood and gore and violence. But it says that God is mindful of us and God cares about us. See, that's the other thing in the Babylonian story. The gods do not care one lick for humanity. So this psalm begins with, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is thy name in all the earth, and ends with the same words. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is thy name in all the earth. But, so, it, but it also states that we are, we as human beings, share in a lot of that majesty. We're only a little lower. Right. We've been crowned with glory and honor. Yeah. Now that's a much more beautiful story and much something that I would much rather be a part of than the dog eat dog. I got to win no matter the cost. So part of figuring out what it means to be human goes back to what is the story that shapes our understanding of human beings? Is it an Eden story or is it a Babylonian story? And the Babylonian story is still a live and vital story that's everywhere around us you know and it's yeah and it seems like be a story that sometimes has the upper hand uh, it's the one that seems prevalent well it's like being a fish in water you don't know that you're in the water it's around us where you've been raised up in it it just seems like well that's the way it is but can it be different and can it be better? Yep. So that's much more to talk about in the following weeks. So. All right. Hopefully you weren't hungry for more. Well, if you were, you'll have to tune in again. <laughs> think about your story. Think yeah. about 
what story you want and how you can pop out those weeds then when they pop up and get them out. Right? And, and if you find somebody who's just being obnoxious, you might go, hey, are you being a Babylonian? <laughs> Keep that in mind. All right. See you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Well, hey, thank you for uh, listening to our conversation. Not holier than you. <laughs> uh, and boy, we really like that title because I think it's true. Correct. <laughs> I thought I'd have to say it so quickly. Oh, I'm sorry. I know I'm not holier than anybody else. Oh, I thought else you meant here. me. Okay. No, no, no. So I'm talking to, about myself. Uh, so we're a couple of pastors. Yep. We pastor a small congregation of Anabaptist Mennonites here in, in Idaho. Meridian, Idaho. Meridian, Idaho. Yep. And uh, we're just learning this stuff and trying to figure it out along with you. So if you if we say something that's heretical or horrible or you think we're just wrong, that's okay. We probably we might be. We're learning as we go. Well, I don't think we're heretical in no. any way, but um... <laughs> I try a little. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, um, we are glad that you joined us, and we hope that you'll join us again. So we hope to we hope to come out with these about weekly, and they're roughly thirty-five to forty minutes in length. Hopefully, not too much of your time, and hopefully, some uh, seed. Um, for some some fruitful conversation and food for thought food for thought right all right see ya thank you bye, bye.